I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We made it to episode 10. So on this strange experiment that we're doing. So if you're still with us, thank you for being here. Yeah, this has been interesting for us, and we want to hear from you. So if you can think of uh, what you'd, you know, like us to try or, or what would make the show better, do let us know. We do like hearing from you guys. Um, So this is going to be a short media club today. I just have uh, uh, two low-budget sci-fi films I just want to mention. Okay. Uh, so one of them uh, is from 2013, but uh, I was looking for something to watch with my wife, and I recently rewatched this. Uh, Ted, have you seen Coherence? Uh, no, I have not seen it, although I do know what it is. Uh, so it's a, a very low-budget sci-fi that basically is set mostly at one location, mm-hmm. um, and it's got that sort of... Uh, you know, realistic, handheld, improvisational feeling acting type style to it mm-hmm. um, that maybe a movie like uh, Primer has. Mm-hmm. It, I, I would say, you know, I'd lump it in with Primer as like, this is a very, what a very low budget sci-fi can look like and, and accomplish by having sort of, you know, a pretty out there premise and combining that with a very grounded style, you know, yeah. that uh, especially in, in terms of w- the way the acting is delivered feels very grounded. Um it's not a perfect movie, uh, but it's quite good though, and so I, I I wanted to recommend that. I mean, I rewatched oh, cool. it, and I I I I still enjoyed it uh, a second time, um, and uh, I'd be interested what you thought, Ted, if you ever get to that. Okay, yeah, I'll um, check it out. I have not seen it. Uh, the budget on this thing was fifty thousand dollars, by the way. So this is like similar to Primer in terms of you know uh, the amount of money that was spent on it. Really low budge. Right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's d- definitely like. It fits right in with that movie. So if you yeah. like that movie, um, and I do like that movie, so that's, yeah, that's I, interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I'm I'm sure you uh, you'll find some some flaws in it because, like I said, it's not perfect, but it, I think it is good. So you know, check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, another movie that is you know again not perfect, but 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 good that I saw recently, very low budget sci-fi, but sort of coming at things from a different angle, is a movie called Prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a movie from 2018. Um, it's got some actors you might recognize That's in it. with like, the Duplass, right? And, uh, Sophie Thatcher. Is that the movie? Uh, and, uh, Pedro Pascal, uh-huh. uh, is in it too. Uh, he might recognize from a few things. Okay. I've actually um, seen one scene from this movie because I was sent, I was sent a clip of it once as a, as a reference or something. Oh, weird. What scene did so you see? So scene, um, uh, I think this is the right movie. This is a movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the Duplasses. I forget which one. Jay, Jay Duplass. It's Jay Duplass. And Sophie Thatcher, and they're like inside a science fiction set with uh, helmets on, and yeah, like a low budget looking like rocket ship type thing, right? Yep, yep. And they're having a conversation. It's a very emotional conversation. I I don't remember, like I didn't know the context of the story when I saw it. So it was just these two actors acting. I was watching them act, and uh, and it was uh, and it, it was an interesting scene. I mean, I thought it was a good scene. But I didn't know if it was, you know, I didn't know uh, what it fit into. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good, uh, it is a good movie. I think it's. Uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, 
it's not, you know, the kind of speculative sci-fi we usually talk about, or even one with a um, sort of a core concept behind it, which is sort of what's going on with Coherence when you see it. Uh, it's it's really more of a space western, mm-hmm. which you might get from the name Prospect. Um, so, you know, it's not... It's more fantasy than sci-fi. I mean, depending on how you how you define those terms, mm-hmm. but it, it does have a a world that it that it drops you into and doesn't hold your hand and feels you know like it has some aesthetic commitments to it. And again, even though it's low budget, it definitely has a strong look that I that I quite enjoy. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see there's not a lot of money to it, but that didn't that didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, you know, it's definitely a very like Western style tale of, you know, going to a planet in, in search of, uh, not exactly gold, but you, you get the idea. Right, right. Um, Some sort of, uh, material, uh, exploitation in like a frontier land. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you know Canopy, which is sort of the public library oh, streaming yeah. app, uh, it's on there. So it's pretty easy to watch for free if you've got uh, a library card. So I re- definitely recommend uh, that one and coherence to you and our listeners. Uh, yeah, uh, neither one is going to totally blow your mind, but they are both good, solid, low-budget sci-fi movies, and uh, I love that stuff. So I do too, and I've actually, yeah, I've heard of both of them, and you know, so this is all the this is all the impetus I need to watch them. I can probably watch them this week. Um, that's cool. Thank you for recommending those, John. All right, uh, let's get into. Uh, our graphic novel again. So, uh, yeah. Last time we talked a lot about animals. That's where we ended. Right. Yes. And that's where we also got kind of stuck um, because we were trying to settle on, you know, what happens to the animals, right? Right. Uh, we know that everything on planet Earth gets scanned, or at least we know all the people do. Um, I think we were sort of trending towards agreement that the animals would be scanned um but do they have their own home worlds um or not um you know to me this is kind of a this says something about you know the simulator's priorities in terms of species right like that's so I definitely have a leaning. Like I kind of know what I think right. going into this. So just um, to recap some of the challenges here, because I think we talked yeah. about this last week, but just I want my own brain to think of them again. Uh, like, okay, so there's the question of like sentience or um, brain volume or neurocortex, neocortex, or you know whatever you. There's there could be some threshold is basically what I'm saying by which um, scanning subjects are taken. And we want that, if that's the case, if there is a threshold, then we want that threshold to make sure it at least encompasses all humans. And then um, it, it, it may have to encompass more things, um, right? As we discussed, uh, because the spectrum of, of those things um, for humans is, uh, you know, uh, overlaps to some degree with other animals. Um, and then there is... Another problem of pets, right? Which is if you are, you know, if you, if this is a human simulator, if you deeply understand human beings, there's no way you would leave, leave out pets. Um, it, honestly, in a very abstract way, uh, if you are really just determining like life form and where it lives and its interactions with other life forms and such like that, 
you might also include pets, right? If you were non-human. Um, but then, uh, a really, right. Cause you could see that like these two organisms say like people and dogs have some kind of symbiotic relationship. I don't really understand what the purpose of it is, but, uh, a whole lot of humans have a whole lot of dogs for some reason. Well, you could, right. right you can analyze statistically like that. Or I was even thinking like just on an individual level, you could realize that like, you know, these three beings, two of which are human and one of which is a dog all live in the same house and all feed one another frequently and all like, you know, are just contacting one another frequently. And, uh, so it might just group people together, uh, in those ways. Um, which if we want to say that my dog does not feed me, which is what it sounded like you said. Well, but right. But you feed the dog and your wife also feeds the dog. And then your wife also feeds you and you also feed your wife. So it could create like a, you know, a map of your of your house if it was say watching your interactions right. over and a cats short do of time. kind of feed you right i mean they they, they will they, they will you. bring you food yes and yeah. they will also you know get you infected with toxoplasmosa that transforms your behavior or whatever right um well, let's dodge that tangent but you know maybe the toxoplasmosa also is scanned i mean that's part of what we're discussing here so i mean look i think that this could get really messy <laughs> Uh, one thing we have to just consider is like, is there a threshold? Is that the way it's deciding what gets scanned? If there's not a threshold, if it's simply like scanning everything and like insects, does it scan insects? Then, uh, you know, what I like about that, what I like about the idea that maybe it just literally scanned every insect, uh, every multicellular organism, let's say, let's say that was the threshold that any, you know, that like your, your single cells and your, and your, uh, non-life, um, molecules maybe were not scanned or were scanned but not instantiated in any meaningful way just used as a library um but that everything multicellular has been scanned every tree every insect every fungus you know um what i like about that is that resolves cleanly because we would never visit tree world or mushroom world or insect world because uh, to the extent that those things existed, they would exist in, an, in a way that's like pretty much inaccessible to human beings. It'd be hard to reference them like, I want to go to the world of that mushroom that the day before the transition I happened to notice on the backyard lawn. Right. Well, you'd have to know its name or something, right? I mean, like, whatever our listing service is, it only lists things in ways, you know, it can only list basically humans to other humans. Um or maybe we could figure out some way for it to say list pets or something. We can talk about that in a second, but it's, it's going to be very hard for it to list insects because whatever conceptual system the insect has, (laughs) you know, it's just not at all compatible with, with the human one. I mean, you can't go to visit world, you know, I mean, it's just not possible to even, you know, think in the same terms. So, so, I mean, we, what? We did say, though, that things are, are now listed by default, right? Because we decided that was the only way you could find your, your babies, like your human babies, right? So, uh, and ostensibly the way you find them is you list facts about them, probably their name first, but I mean, anything else that you would know. Mm-hmm. So, and then the search algorithm surfaces it. So that implies that maybe you could find an insect like if you had like a pet insect in a jar that like 
you could reference right. in some kind of concrete way. That you way. had named. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then maybe it's able to pick up like your name for it and ap- attach that to the to the insect. Um, or more, more, you know, saliently to the dog or cat or something that you're, you know. Um, so, right. That's, I could see that working. Uh... But yeah, what what I generally like about the idea that everything is scanned is just that it resolves very cleanly to most things never actually appearing in our constellation universe anyway, even if they do technically exist there. Um, and then it avoids any cruelty of people missing their pets. Um, on the other hand, like, I don't think it's so bad like if people do miss their pets but they're able to create you know similar ai replacements for their pets because like we said ai is limited in this world but it may not be limited beyond the capability of you know um mimicking a dog (laughs) right like that may be within its realm of of doability um I think I also could live with a world where we decide that this is a very human centric um thing and that they have you know that the threshold is perhaps like human-like dna or something um very specific to humans and uh that essentially all animals and plants and other life in this universe is simulated it's uh it's not emulated it's you know um a, a product of the simulation. It's, right. There's know. a dog program that runs the dog module that, you know, is, uh, is dog creates a dog, like it's a dog, like AI. It is designed on purpose to be within the realm of possible behaviors that real dogs have. You can probably tweak it in some sort of kit bashing way by talking to your exec and make it more like your dog. You know, you can just maybe describe your dog to it and it will make it more and more like your dog until it's good. Um, it might even be able to scan your dog from your memories and uh, and recreate your dog that way or skin. Some, but, you know, it, it's still like a it's still like a creation, you know, uh, of the simulation in that case. It's not like your literal dog uh, the way that you so, are your literal self. So I am interested in if we can, but we may not be able to uh, avoid uh, the constellation having a too obvious human bias, right? Um, I agree. Because again, the more neutral we make the simulators, we've already talked about this as a value. The the you know it expands the possibility of their motives and also who they are, right? So obviously, some sort of future transhuman beings that evolved from humans that created this simulation, well, they would they might be very interested in humans, right? But aliens wouldn't necessarily think that humans were any cooler than dolphins so um unless they were uh, particularly interested in you know aspects of humans that are unique such as their you know apparently higher thought abilities that's true i mean yeah you could also explain that away but i think like you know uh, if we can make it feel neutral that is a value for me i I don't i don't know if we can quite accomplish that um i guess you know Okay, so so here's what I what I think are are two two ways to go that would work for me, mm-hmm. um, and and they're along the lines of what we've discussed already. So they just scan everything. We're going to draw the line at you know single cellular life. That's not included. You got to be at least a multicellular organism to get included. 
Uh, if you're a multicellular organism, you got scanned, you got given a home world, and to visit that home world, you would have to know a very specific way to refer to that thing. So like you said, it resolves cleanly because most of our story, we don't have to see, you know, the, the home world of, you know, oak tree number 9033. Um, so, but you people can find their pets. Now, pets don't have a way to direct their exec or if they do we don't know what that is so you could your pets would be stuck as we discussed you could visit them whenever you wanted uh but you wouldn't be able to take them out of the home world because you wouldn't get them couldn't get them to sign a contract so that's odd and weird but maybe interesting i think that would be a consequence um right so that's one but right, that's but, right right but but that i think that consequence is consistent and so i like that it's a little bit weird that's part of the goal of having these rules so i'm okay with that i think that would be one totally fine option i think another option is um they scan everything they only care about humans in the sense of this you know part of the constellation right this this i don't know galaxy or or or, or not galaxy no that's not the right way to put it it's like it would be a sub portion of the constellation so we'll say like you know like maybe there's or maybe there's multiple constellations would be a way to put it right you could theorize about that um this constellation that we see is designed to be human centric right it only contains uh human minds as far as having home worlds right mm-hmm. Um, and being able to enter into contracts and create worlds and do all of that. Um, we know everything else got scanned, though, because that is where, that is the source of the library, <laughs> right? Right, Maybe right. It's, um, and you can literally load anything uh, non-human. You can't load up a human from the library, right? Uh because each human only has one copy with its own rights. You can only but... ask a human to load themselves up, basically, but they have to consent. That's right. But you can load up any animal right. that, again, you can explicitly reference. And if you just don't explicitly reference, you just say a horse, then it will just be one of many horses that were scanned. Uh, uh, but if you can specify, you know, my, the, the you know, uh, secretariat, then then that's the horse you get, right? So um, that's... I, well, I so think wait, that, if I say secretariat, yeah. now I'm assuming secretariat is a dead horse. <laughs> I, I don't know that much about horse racing, but that... Oh, right. You're right. They, they can't scan the past. So you're right. You're does right, that right. mean... So well, like the equivalent I, I of that that's today. that's interesting because I think it could create for me a, a reasonable copy of secretariat based on cultural information if we want to give it the ability to do that. But it would be AI. It wouldn't be a real horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, sorry. That was uh, uh, that was incorrect of me. Uh, imagine, I don't know, who's the best uh, ho- running horse alive today? Well, that horse. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's got a charming, silly name, um, as they always do. Um, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. So, yeah, you if, if, you, if it was you, you could say, uh, uh, bring me gumbo, and they would make your current dog. Um, yes. And, uh, and that only works because you have like a way of referring to him, um, that is sort of specific enough that in the scanning process, the scan was able to draw the connection, right? So it was able to take the word out of your mind and other people's minds that might be referring to the dog and sort of associate it with the dog at the time of 
at the time of scanning. Is that right? I'm just trying to imagine I'm how I'm thinking this the name might not be enough. Like it, it may be it, it may not be. Like I'm thinking like any search uh, algorithm, you know, the more information you can give it, the better it can do. So I could just sort of rattle mm-hmm. off to my exec, bring me the dog that was named Gumbo that lived in the same home as me. Uh, before the transition, it was, you know, about this size, it had, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And like you give it enough information and it just narrows, 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 and then it gets it. Right, right, right. right. But it, it seems might like, not. It seems like yeah. the information that would be most valuable to it in that case is the information of like where the animal was at scanning time relative sure. to where your body was at scanning time. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, not always, but in more co- more context than. That doesn't not. require very advanced, like a very advanced algorithm to just say, like you know, two organisms in close proximity. Right. right. So maybe the name is irrelevant. Maybe the way you refer to it, I'm liking this better. Is like you basically have to describe to the exec your relationship to the thing in a in a way that it can find the record. Um, so you have to say like, I want my dog, and and maybe it walks you through. Well, give me some more information, and you. Uh, tell it for example this dog lived in the same house as me and was this tall and was this color and then and it had a tag that said gumbo on oh it. yeah well if it had a tag that said gumbo on it then that's very searchable right it can go through all of its records and find the, the tag that says that um so right if you can if you can describe it that specifically then uh then it should be able to find it um and then i guess the question is will it instantiate a copy for you uh, will it sort of disrespect the animal's um, uh, sovereign rights in that way um, and make you the sort of owner of the animal the way that, you know, it, it, like we were talking about with infant children, um, or, or does it or does it do this other thing where the animal is instantiated on its own homeworld and right, you right. have to visit it and uh, almost like almost trick it into interacting with its own exec in order to do anything with it, you know? Um, yeah. So the, those are, those are the two, the two options that are in front of us. Right. Right. I am kind of leaning toward all multicellular life is scanned. All of it has a home world. Most of it is just totally inaccessible to us. So we're in the human quadrant of the constellation or something because um, there are just much fewer links between the animal world and the human world than there are, you know, uh, just individual animals. Um, but then, okay, let's, yeah, then let's, I guess we just have to figure out go the mechanics that. of how people are going to find pets or find important animals to them. Um, and then also, I guess the mechanics of like, what happens if you just want to like make a zebra? Like, is that a library of zebras? Is that an AI zebra based on a library of zebras? Is it a purely simulated zebra that never existed in the real world, but is just, you know, um, genetically related to a zebra uh, and simulated fully in the in the simulator? Like, how, how are they... I guess what, you know, we have to think about efficiency because they're going to want to put most of their processing power into the mines and not into the other features. So I guess if it can be AI, maybe it should be. Um, and then, you know, 
I think that that logically follows. Like, I think if we go, if if they took the time to scan all multicellular life, uh, but not only that, but like, I guess that's the premise either way, but they Mm -hmm. gave every single organism a home world. To me, that says something about their values uh, and that they would not, therefore, probably allow, you know, just the random zebra that you summon to be a fully conscious zebra. Uh, that's would I don't know. Those would seem to be in conflict to me. It feels right, like right, right. That's probably not necessary for your human experience of a zebra, right? So you, and also it feels like if what they're trying to do is you know preserve all conscious life and give it sort of a heaven to live in, if it or at least know, an autonomy, wants, yeah, 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 or at least yeah. the option of heaven, yeah. Uh, then I think that it sort of you know that same ethical system doesn't it doesn't seem right that then i could just like emulate infinite zebras and then you know murder them for my pleasure or something uh in my own heaven right that doesn't seem consistent uh but i think like you should be able to murder infinite zebras it's just that like that um those zebras should just be ais that like never actually experience any kind of uh pain or even conscious you know feeling of existing right um right if yeah and you could get if that's not realistic enough for you you could get actors to play those zebras but even they would be only pretending to um experience pain and stuff because they would be you know uh ejected or whatever upon death by the way i I apologize because this is like a really terrible thing that i just sketched out i don't know why anyone would ever murder infinite zebras but you know i I guess if you've been oh if you've ever played a video game you know like i think there is pleasure in um the act of killing especially if it is completely divorced from actual death or harm you know if you can i mean people would set up all kinds of war games and fighting games and killing games and stuff stuff like that they would yeah be I just, explicitly zebras is a, harmless but but also gory and violent you know I, zebras is just a strange a strange choice like, well, I like almost zebras like, are particularly horrible to kill because they're rare right um yeah if we're if all horses were zebras you wouldn't you wouldn't worry too much about killing one i mean obviously it'd still be bad not saying it wouldn't but, right right, right. But, well that, that wasn't the only thing i was saying but yeah but yeah, but yeah. yeah i think yeah it's just uh it seems like it would be so cruel in our world to kill a whole lot of zebras since there are not a whole lot of zebras um but right uh, so maybe maybe you you want to make and kill infinite zebras then you know the zebra is not valuable in that sense and if it's not experiencing consciousness then it's not valuable in that sense so then you're kind of taking the moral question out of of zebra killing (laughs) i guess you'd just be attracted to it because uh you know it's forbidden or was forbidden so now but now you can now you can do it so you might as well uh especially if you've been in the constellation for a while and you've gotten bored right Um, right right Uh, it's yeah it's definitely taboo and i think breaking taboos would be you know a big part of what yeah bored uh people in these um simulations might might get into so can we make a call on this and just say uh, for now, unless unless you object or want to keep it open, like every animal has a home world. Uh, if you can explain it thoroughly enough, you can find their home world. And then also, whenever you, you actually generate things in your own world, uh, those are always just AIs. They're not conscious or they're not actually emulating uh, real real entities. So let's move on to something else. What, what do you want to talk about next? Yeah, I'm going to try to stick on the level of 
like core world stuff, right? Okay. No promises, listeners, but we sort of talked off the air about, you know, trying to wrap up the world rules relatively soonish. At least draft one of them so we can start doing some story beating. Yeah. So yeah. If, if this is getting a little abstract for you, uh, we're going to hopefully get to plot soon. But there are some, there's still some a couple core things that need to be hammered out. And so we have to return to our old friend, uh, inner world communication. Um, I thought we were done with this. Uh, well, we made a decision, right? And then uh, that's, I think, a strong decision, which is that there is no interworld communication, but now I think we need to address, uh, some of the consequences of that. So at least we're talking second order consequences now. Okay. Um, so I was just thinking about just, I mean, I think there's a solution for this, but I just want to talk through it. Um, we know that when people enter other people's worlds, there's this entrance contract that has to get signed uh by both parties to determine you know what are my rights going to be when i enter this world right, right? if i'm enter entering a medieval world am i going to be a king or a peasant you know am i going to have the ability to fly or not right right um random things like that so the where does that contract get negotiated if there's no inner world communication um obviously like it can't happen where i'm in my world and they're in their world and i'm saying i would request to enter your world and then we have a negotiation across worlds because that's interworld communication that's not allowed right so i i think there is a solution i just want to sort of like explain it which i think would probably be uh worlds would probably need you know lobbies right or like waiting areas um, that would sort of grant all access to, uh, like just anyone can go who wants to go to that world. Um, if they haven't been vetted, haven't signed a contract, they can go to this sort of confined corner of that world, right? This waiting area or lobby, whatever we want to call it. Right. Um, where they can't really do much, right? It's like a locked room inside the world. They can't yeah. get out there. It's and a mess port with of entry actual... too, right? It's like kind of like yeah. the place that you show your passport. Uh, customs yeah yeah and it could or, or you know it could look like uh, that or it could literally look like a hotel lobby with someone at a desk that you then talk to sure uh an ai of some kind that uh then you know you negotiate the contract with maybe mm -hmm. you actually mime the action of signing it and then you get let into the larger world um does that feel right to you well that's an option and i like the visual nature of it um what my I had a couple of thoughts about this. I think, you know, negotiate's an interesting term because I'm not 100% sure that negotiation should literally be possible. Uh, it, I think it might be it, more interesting if contracts are a bit more one-size-fits-all and you pretty much have to accept them in order to enter the world full stop. And then maybe there is some ability to renegotiate from inside the world. Um, but... You know, we can talk about that anyway. Well, the initial contract, there's some initial contract that you already signed that allowed you into the lobby and nowhere else. So that already, that's kind of the one size fits all. Maybe. Uh, and maybe that's the way, maybe that's just a norm that all worlds just end up doing is like they have this really limited initial contract that gets you into the lobby. And if that's the case, then um, I feel like the place where the contract is... Uh, presented and signed anyway, if not exactly negotiated, is within the abstract space of the exec. So 
it seems to me like there's this list, and the list itself is, as we discussed, an example of interworld communication. It's extremely limited, uh, which is why I think it's okay, but it lists everybody, and it's somewhat somewhat searchable. So, you know, from any world, you can access this data that will tell you about the other worlds. I think one of the data points that should just be in the list is what the standard contract is. And uh, that standard contract could be, you know, no death, no pain, access to lobby, all other rights negotiated on entry. And maybe that's the norm that people build up on it. I I basically like that as a norm and I like it as a visual. Um, So I'd be down with that. Uh, But whether or not that's the case, it seems to me like maybe the simple thing is, you know, the world owner publishes a basic contract via their exec and then um everybody who wants to visit the world just has to say yes to that contract in order to enter and if you want anything more fine-grained than that then it's up to you to build some kind of lobby or other system to um to renegotiate contracts and and you know hand out additional rights yeah i think this actually solves multiple problems at once that we've had talked about in the past like as far as like having you know, what do you do for someone who has an ongoing account, for example, right? right. Um, so I think that's that, another norm you could build into the lobby, basically. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I think that um, you could have a world where just the standard entrance contract is there is no lobby. You come in and you just have a blast, do whatever you want, right? right? Like, right. Um, uh, but again, yeah, if you're doing anything more sophisticated, you kind of have to have the lobby and that would just be sort of a standard thing that people would get used to. Maybe that takes a little while to evolve as a norm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, whatever your sort of AI that's at the hotel lobby desk that could have on file, you know, your account so that if you've been there before negotiated a better entrance contract, then you talk to the AI at the desk and they can pull that file up for you, right? If you give them the right code, password or something. And so that explains how people have like these sort of recurring accounts without having to have, um, again, users as as an entity, right? Again, it's all sort of uh, submerged inside of the world. Right. Um, I think it also is actually going to solve another problem, which we have we haven't mentioned this problem yet. But yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Staring, I was thinking that too. Should we? Talk I was thinking about that it? too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I had the same thought. This so, is great. Because somebody had tweeted at us, and I totally agree with this that uh, there should be some kind of cost or delay when switching worlds. Um, I'm quoting the tweet directly now. If you could switch instantly every nanosecond, you could effectively strobe and exist simultaneously in multiple worlds, uh, which could make individual people uh conduit for low latency communication as well as just being um sort of confusing and hard to write about uh, which is my initial thought when I, th- I was like oh yeah that's a problem um so i think this kind of imposes the cost or delay uh if most worlds employ lobbies then those lobbies take a certain amount of you know mm. processing on the part of the world to conjure up the ai possibly even contact the world owner um, definitely query a database and say like, you know, this person's been here before. This is what their rights were before. This is, you know, they left on good terms. Are we letting them back in on these same terms? Um, and that might only take, um, seconds. I don't even, or, you know, or milliseconds even if it's pretty efficiently done. Uh, but I think that would be enough of a delay, uh, that it does solve this problem of intense well, strobing. Well, you know, 
Okay, so I, you and I did have the same thought. That's what I was going to say. Uh-huh. But then as you were describing it, I was realizing an issue, right? right? Because What's this from? whole lobby thing is a, is a cultural device, right? Yep. It's, not, it's an optional thing. It's a norm, yep. So you could still have strobing if between two worlds that refuse to build a lobby. Right. And if you have strobing, is that allow communication that then you could like build a, a supercomputer out of or something like right does it is that a, a, like a hole in our security right because uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it is I'm just trying to think about it right if we have two worlds that we intentionally set up you know with uh, zero latency teleportation between them and I tell my exec to strobe me back and forth instantaneously mm-hmm. um so that I can like see something on both sides or like connect. I, I don't know. Can you use this to break our system? Well, it's very interesting to think about. And I guess it depends on how effectively you can maintain two strains of thought while you do this, right? Because like, let's say you wanted to speak while you were strobing. Would you be able to do that? Or would every other nanosecond of sound show up in the wrong world you know what i mean like i don't know i don't know now how to strobe my speech (laughs) right but it it could theoretically be possible to say like two sentences at the same time and strobe the output such that i'm actually saying one coherent sentence in one world at the same exact moment that i'm saying another coherent sentence in another world right well i don't i mean i don't think I mean, but if you to can't me, this... communicate, if all you can do is take in information with your eyes during the strobing and you have to stop strobing to communicate out, then I think this does not provide us with... Well, hang on. With... What? Because I, I, I think you could, um, you could definitely communicate. Well, I mean, the way I imagine it, you could, you could speak while strobing, but you couldn't speak two sentences at the same time unless your brain had exactly. run two things. I mean, that, yeah, there, there is a bottleneck at your mind, right? right. Your mind is, isn't suddenly going to have like parallel processing. Uh, but, well, okay, so here's it. Does parallel process though? I mean, this, I, I don't know the answer well, to no, this. Well, no, no, but, no, 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 but not, not in this sense, right? Like, I don't know about how your brain works, but like, you know, I, I, my, uh, my thinking mind, my like main, you know. Yeah, I can't uh, say two sentences at once the way my brain works now, but I guess I'm wondering if I were able to strobe between two realities, could I train my mind over time to sync up with the strobing? And well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I, I, I'm going to say no, like, or, or, or like, I mean, you know, maybe someone could get sophisticated at like training their mind to do something like that. But I, to me, that's maybe not the scenario I'm worried about. Uh, what's I the guess scenario you're worried about then. Uh, so I'm trying to put this together, but I'm thinking, let's say in, um, I have a computer in world a, yeah, I have another computer in world B. Yeah. Um, if those computers could talk to each other, um, by like passing bits, right. Then maybe they could become like a bigger supercomputer. Right. Right. Um, so I strobe back and forth between these two worlds while looking at two monitors. Right. Um, maybe one is in my left field of vision in one world and the other is in my right field of vision in the other world. So, and I'm strobing so fast, it basically looks like I have a dual monitor set up. Right. 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 And, uh, one computer is spitting out output that then needs to go into the other computer. 
And so I just basically look at the computer on the left, which is spitting out, maybe it's just ones and zeros, right. and I'm just reading that out loud, uh, which is then getting heard by the other computer and going into it. Now, I'm wasting myself, right? I mean, this is, I guess this would be a job, right? I mean, you're wasting a whole person's time. Right. Or I guess you could be pressing a, a button, link. right? You could have a zero button and a one button uh, in World 2, and you're just strobing back and forth between seeing the zero and pressing the zero, seeing the one, pressing the one, zero, you know. That that makes sense. And then you could, the thing is that that would be much slower than, you know, electronic communication, obviously. It would be a bottleneck. But I guess you could use that to link up multiple worlds full of computing. And then you you, you do, I think you could theoretically get to the problem uh, of of building a supercomputer or like do it, you know, running a simulation in the simulation or something like that, that we were trying it, to avoid. I mean, it seems really hard. I, I, again, yeah, you're right. It'd be slow because it'd be limited by human reaction time, which is quite slow. Right. Right. So, so maybe even if you got hired a, a million humans to do this awful job, right. Uh, maybe it would still be too slow to create a genuine supercomputer. That's something I don't know, but it, it makes sense that could possibly be the case. Um, I, I guess, yeah, it, it's hard to say if, if, if you could convince enough people to spend their lives doing this extremely boring thing, I think it might actually be possible to break the world this way. Um, now, I am, I want to say before, because I do want to jump back to the lobby thing, but, but I also want to say uh, before we do that, that I'm okay with there being a small delay uh, every time you switch worlds. Um, now that delay could be a natural consequence of the system. Like it could just be like literally how long it takes it to load you up because whatever limits it has, those are, you know, you're experiencing them. Um, or it could be a delay that's imposed by the system, you know, as a safety measure. Um, but either way, I think it would be all right if there was a small delay um, and I don't think the delay would have to be very long for it to, um, to solve this problem. Uh, right. Cause if you, if you even add a little bit of delay, uh, on top of the natural delay of human reaction time, then that really slows things down. Exactly. And, uh, and, it, and the delay would magnify each time you added a person to it just by the nature of it. So, um, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to just throw people at the problem until it until the reaction time wasn't an issue because each time you added a person, that's one more person who has to switch worlds and therefore cause delay. Um, so I think there's, I think we can solve this without that, but I was kind of getting excited about the idea of, um, you know, it being fairly unusual to have worlds that have full access entrance contracts available to everyone and that those would be the only worlds that it would be possible to strobe between. And let's say that this strobing does impose some delay. So it is, uh, it, it, it makes it so that you can switch instantly every say 500 milliseconds, but not every nanosecond. So, you know, not fast enough to, be the bridge in a supercomputer because you'll just slow the whole machine down so much by you existing, but 
fast enough that you can, you know, um, watch something happen and report it back in roughly real time or something like that. I don't know. I mean, the way you're uh, talking about it, the delay, I want to make sure we're on the same page about this. Like, are you imagining the delay, like, slows down the whole world for a a brief tiny moment you're it's just it's just that the person doesn't like for a moment it's like that person uh, i'm talking about is, a delay between the moment that the person stops being instantiated at world x and starts being instantiated at world y right, right. so because we're saying all users are instantiated on a world as if the world is a server right so like um it, it's a it's analogous to quitting the program on server a and starting the same program up on server b and the the downtime would be the delay yeah okay that's what i thought there's just like something in there that that's what i'm imagining so i don't know how i maybe i described it poorly but that's what i was uh, imagining. uh, okay yeah um so yeah okay so i'm definitely on board with a delay and if we are saying that the only way you could do this is with an all access entrance contract then it also is like a huge like your su- supercomputer you were trying to build would have a sort of a security flaw, right? Like, because anyone could teleport into like one of the nodes of your supercomputer, right? Uh, which is probably not a good pairing to have your your supercomputer also be all uh, open to everyone. Well, now I mean, th- now when you say that, that makes me want to build the supercomputer. Like, that's interesting because um, that in itself. Yeah, that would create so many other interesting wrinkles in the in the computer's use and purpose and uh yeah. Yeah, so I think the only way the only way I can imagine to do it is if it's a very permissive standard contract. Uh maybe not perfectly permissive, but but very open. Um at least open enough that it allows you to do all of the information transferring that you want to do right um and then that would allow pretty much anybody to come in and transfer information into this computer which you know there are things you can do to create authentication and stuff but all those things would introduce more delay (laughs) right um just seems like Right. Okay. So you could build like, 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 let, let's say like you're going to have some, you know, like one world is just going to be the biggest computer you're allowed to make. Right. Um, and then you could have a bunch of worlds that are designed to go collect different kinds of information and feed it back to the central computer. And then a bunch of volunteers that uh, shepherd the information back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, maybe you could do something interesting with that, but I don't, yeah, I, it seems like, and, and I'm totally in favor of adding some kind of delay. So I think if you put that in, it just, it seems unlikely to be the kind of supercomputer that's going to create problems like simulations in simulations, but it might be someone's weird project. Um, and that might be the most powerful computer in the constellation, you know, like maybe that's the best computer they've figured out how to build and maybe it can't run a full simulation but it can you know um collect a lot of data about the existing constellation or something like that which would be sort of useful for people um or i don't know i just think that's kind of interesting i think people would be trying to build computers 
and supercomputers in the constellation. And it's interesting to me to think of how they might be failing um, and what how the rules might be stopping them. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the delay is cool. I think the delay can be... I don't think the delay causes us a problem in terms of ambiguity because it can be basically a... It's just such a fundamental thing. Um, I c- we could even just justify it as being like the limitations of the hardware. It doesn't even need to be a design feature necessarily. Um, and then, yeah, I like this idea of lobbies, but I like it better if they are culturally evolved because they feel like a human solution to me rather than a, and then that's, that means they can look however we want them to look. Um, you know, it gives us some, some leeway on them too. That I think is good. That's good. Yeah, I like I like lobbies. I kind of like that word too. I don't know if you, there's one you prefer, but uh, uh lobby's pretty good. Uh, entranceway, uh, foyer, uh, uh, uh. I'm sure everyone loves it when we sit here and play the synonym game. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I'm just sitting thinking of other things that could be. Yeah, I, I like lobbies. I mean, I think we can go with lobbies for now, and uh, if we come up with a better term, we'll 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 uh, change it. Um, okay. So that's kind of a, that's kind of an answer to that. Um, okay. So here, here's, uh, one more low level question. Okay. Uh, so when you violate a contract, yeah. um, uh, you know, what happens, right? Like, and, and there, uh, probably it depends, right? But, uh, you know, one thing is that like you violate it, you get ejected, right? Like there's a rule that says, uh you know no cussing in this world or something right right so uh so i drop an f-bomb and then i i get uh ejected and and it knows where to send me because that's what a home world is it's your sort of designated ejection target right um or right i open my mouth and nothing comes out right or it's (laughs) right or it's the good place and you say bull shirt right yeah um right and i think that is both of those things are possible in this universe. So the question is like, do we want that to be something people set? Or is that something that is just always done the same way? Um, I think, you know, when it comes to uh, like feeling pain, which we talked about before, um, we were... Right, I, I think we were leaning toward the idea that the pain is prevented or attenuated. Um, but of course, uh, if you leave pain on and then you feel pain so bad that you don't want to feel it anymore, you always have the option to eject. But we didn't talk about like, you know, the possibility of if pain reaches a certain threshold, you're automatically ejected. Right? I mean that could be the way it works um it's not right prevented from the structure we have but uh, we haven't talked that through before so i think we've been at least in some cases uh sort of assuming a sort of prevented model um but i guess it depends for me on uh on the type of contract violation which makes me think you want to have it be available both ways so like you just want there to be a consequence setting for each violation, maybe consequence ejection, yeah. consequence prevention. Um, maybe it's as simple as that. And you, you know, you as the world builder, 
decide whether to give people choice about these matters or not. And then uh, if you have given them choice, then you can punish them. Um, yes, yes. I th I think that makes sense. I think that it would be uh, something that you could specify in the contract. And I think since you can specify ejection as the punishment for a violation right, or just the result of an action, like uh, falling off a cliff or something. Right, like pain threshold going too high or... Um, then that explains why we have homeworlds at all. Because I was starting to think about the fact that, yes, you need a start world, right? You right. have to start somewhere. But do we actually need a homeworld as a specially labeled construct or can they just all be worlds and some of them you created and have rights to? Um, but right. then this does point at why you would have to have an ejection target because there would be situations where you are ejected and you didn't issue the command, right? Anytime you issue the command, well, you could just say where you want to go. Right. Um, and maybe ejected be a shorthand, but that's not necessary. Um, but because it's possible for contracts to eject people without knowing their desire of where they want to go. Right. Just knows that you can't be here anymore. <laughs> I right. don't care where you go, but you can't stay here kind of thing. Right. Then then that's why we have to have uh, a homeworld designation at all. Right. And as you're saying that, I am thinking like it would be possible to get rid of that, right? It would be possible that, you know, world owner admin character has full rights in the world, including the ability to like imprison people or silence them or, you know, uh, whatever. But... It could be that they don't have the power to eject. It could be that they cannot specify that in the contract, that they, you know, anyone that they let in has to eject of their own accord, um, but that they can be bound to the other rules. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, and, we, yeah, we, yeah. And we could definitely make it such that they're powerful enough that, like, they can torture anybody who they want to eject into a kind of ejecting. Um, uh, but... So we're not taking away a lot of power, really. But if we get rid of that, then, yeah, then you might not need homeworlds um, because the idea of, like, accidental ejection uh, might not really be a thing. Oh, uh, so you're—okay, oh, okay, so I misunderstood. So you're actually saying uh, if we were to change it— Yeah. So it's literally impossible to inject people. Right. That ejection can only be uh, an affirmative action by a subject, you know, by a person— Oh, well, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big choice. Uh, I don't, uh, my first instinct is no, because I feel like I'm sort of attached. <sighs> I'm attached to sort of like the idea that you could be ejected for doing something. Um, but you could functionally be forced to be ejected by somebody causing you terrible pain. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. It's, it still functionally provides like, I think enough control over the world that uh so the admin could say you know um gravity is off in this world but but nobody flies you know if anybody flies if anybody is caught flying by our 24-hour surveillance system that surveils every inch of the world um they will be subjected to terrible pain until they eject or i mean you right? don't even have to go so severe you could just paralyze their avatar like sure sorry we paralyze their mouth will cease to open and, uh, you know, they'll see scary spiders until they eject, whatever, whatever you think is the appropriate, you know, um, 
that's so that still is possible if we do it this way. But then eject is just only something that a person can do. It's not something a world can do to you. Um, and I guess what that, I guess then that does get rid of the home world. So I guess, you know, maybe then home world's just well, become know, a landing place, but they don't, they don't have this yeah. special designation and you don't have this problem of like, um, of going to limbo kind of thing. Right. Because. Yeah. But I kind of like, I mean, limbo is kind of one of those interesting corner things. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I feel like, you know, we, we get rid of a rule, which I'm mean, first of all, getting rid of rules is good, right? I like streamlining here. So like, yeah, you, do you we get really rid need of, this one is basically the question. I'm asking. Yeah. Yeah. But the know. problem is the way we get rid of the, the rule that is home worlds is we add a rule, which is that you can't eject people when you can literally do anything else to them, <laughs> including making them, uh, see scary spiders and, and, and turn to stone. Yeah. So, but all that's uh, within the world and you have allowed them in. So I, it does still feel consistent to me. I mean, I don't have, I don't have an objection to it on a consistency basis. It's consistent, but it doesn't, I don't feel like it's actually a simplification because I think now we have this new thing that the admins can't do. Um, well, I don't know. It seems like it's respects autonomy though, because it's saying that the, individual who is being simulated has the sole right to terminate the the entrance contract um whereas the world sure. has to abide by it it has allowed the entrance contract to be signed and so it it can enforce all the terms 100% but it has to allow that now, previously, we had talked about how culturally you could set up a world where you don't have the right to eject people on right. purpose. Right, the right, way right. That, like Definitely, some if we're going to have it, it should be something you can give up because any right the admin has, they should be able to give up. Right. Yeah. I think that um, that's for sure. I mean, and I'm not against it, by the way. I'm just sort of realizing as we're talking about it, I'm not 100% sure that we need it. And I, I wonder whether it might be simpler not to have it. Well... This might be a case where I'm just in, sort of uh, attached to the thing we had. Mm -hmm. uh, and, well, think about it for a while. We don't have to decide it right now. But I mean, are you advocating for changing this or are you just sort of throwing it out there? I am throwing it out there, but I don't currently see a reason to keep it other than my own. I am personally a little attached to it, too. So I'm feeling a little bit of that, too. But I'm not. At the very least, I'd want to keep thinking about it because I, I, I think at this point... I don't see a reason why we have to have it. So until I think of a reason why we have to have it, I, I think I'm advocating for getting rid of it for now. Uh, um, okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we'll just sort of have to leave that one unresolved. I don't think it's, you know, functionally it kind of, you kind of end up in the same place because like you said, you can force people out effectively uh in other ways right. um so i mean it doesn't it shouldn't affect our ability to like tell it would result in stories. slightly more punishment happening in our stories generally which i think is probably good for drama um and it would probably result in um generally i think stricter entrance contracts just across the board because if you don't have the ability to eject people you're going to be more proactive about controlling their actions um, or at least more proactive about protecting your ability to punish them. Well, I feel like if a lobby was a cultural construction that worlds would develop, they'd just develop 
dungeons or jails, right? Oh yeah, like definitely, like it, definitely. Like there basically, would be, uh, that, that would be the standard system. Yeah, solution would just be like. There's no spiders. There's no turning you to stone. Like, we don't need to do any of that cruel stuff. It's very simple. There's just, like, an empty jail. And if you mess up, you go to the jail. If you want to sit there all day for the rest of time and not eject, that's that's your business. Go for it, right? But And, and right. any entrance contract that you sign, or most of them, we reserve the right to send you to jail, right, right for right. X, Y, and Z reasons. Right. Right. And it might be literally time limited the way that jail is. Uh, so maybe it's like, you know, you can eject and then in five months you can come back and reenter the world. Um, or, uh, you know, or you can sit there for five months and reenter the world in five months. Or um, maybe it's like lifetime ban from this world. You're never allowed back. You know, you, you can sit in the jail, but you can never reenter. Um, that's, I think, all of those could be it um yeah and i think i don't know i'm if it really means that we can get rid of home worlds uh, like they're just landing places and they don't have any other special meaning um that is exciting to me uh but so yeah let's keep thinking about that and see if we can poke a hole in it for next week um because I'm, I'm open to going back if if it turns out there's a reason to um or if you just really prefer it, I guess we can work with it. Uh, but I, I do think there's something cool about the ejection being the sole province of the individual. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll, we'll come back to that. Mm -hmm. um, I had, we could wrap now, but I also, I have one other like sort of like more cultural issue that I wanted to mention. Okay. Um, we could maybe just tease it if we don't want to get into it. So what is it? Uh, so, uh, I, I was thinking of the issue of sort of world consolidation, right? What does that mean? And it's, as I was thinking about this, it was hard not to sort of see the parallels to the internet, right? Um, so, you know, the, when most of us started using the internet, um, it felt like you were going to different websites all the time that were made by individuals. You know, maybe they'd have a guest book and you'd sign it. Uh, maybe they'd have a, an about page with a picture of them and their pet, right? And then over time, there's been this, you know, not sort of enforced, but sort of just cultural consolidation around certain portals, certain web major websites that, you know, suck up the vast majority of the traffic, right? Whether that's, you know, Facebook. So you're talking or... about GeoCities, right? Yeah, yeah. G like like monsters of, uh, you know, <laughs> Live monsters monopolies like right, uh, right, like GeoCities. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, back in the day, maybe, yeah, GeoCities would be no, the I, start No, I'm just making fun. But yeah, I know, obviously, uh, we have seen uh, uh, network effects, and uh, and I think, actually, it has been enforced to some degree by various legal um, regimes that have come into place uh, uh, for various reasons. But yes, ab absolutely, we've seen... Uh, that there's fewer places where more people are putting their internet time. And also that to the extent that there are multiple places now, they're often owned by the same big companies, right? You know, WhatsApp and uh, Instagram and Facebook, for example. Yes. Good example. So, uh, so that's been a shift. And again, network effects is, yeah, that's the key word there. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be major network effects in 
our world because why wouldn't there be, right? Yeah, uh, if anything, they'd be even more unconstrained than in this world. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if that's where our world would head towards. I mean, you know, day one after the transition, everyone's starting worlds and going to worlds and hopping around. And then, you know, sooner or later, you know, there's the big money world and there's the big post office world and there's the big like theme park world and there's like the the dormitory world that's super social where everybody likes to like, you know, be have as designated as their sort of their home spot, right? And like things and then there's, you know, various religions that consolidate, you know, their 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 grasp on large swaths of people that have their own world, right? And does it all sort of consolidate down to, you know, Here's the top 10 worlds that basically everything happens in. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we definitely need to think through those cycles. Um, and I would imagine in our world, there will be both very strong network effects, very strong superstar effects where the biggest worlds are vastly larger than the smallest worlds, right? Cause the smallest worlds have one person or one animal in them. And, uh, the, and there are many, many, many of those. And then the, the largest worlds probably have millions um, or maybe even billions of individuals in them and uh, would be nearly self-contained, I would think, culturally, too. Um, they'd be, you know, they would interact with the money world and interact with some of the other all-purpose sort of structures that had been put out there but would probably have, you know, be fairly walled gardens uh, in the way that a Facebook is. Um, because there'd be incentives to build your world that way. Um, and yes, I think that that would definitely happen. But one way that I think this simulation is different from the internet is that there isn't any meddling from the worldly institutions, right? That has caused the consolidation on the internet. So um, the regulations and the... Uh, costs, basically, the economic costs that have caused it to become a more expensive endeavor to start a website, let's say, uh, than it used to be. Right. We're, servers and things like that that are expensive to set up and run. Servers, DMCA compliance, you know, uh, uh, you know, various, various regulatory and, and, and economic situations, uh, exist, um, that make it harder. Uh, you know, Deployment technology is always changing, but in this world, the deployment technology is static. So I think it will continue to be a world where there's very low barriers to entry for new worlds uh, that want to compete for audience. Now, low barriers to entry does not mean that every new world that enters succeeds. In fact, far from it, right? There'll still be major network effects. So even though it's fairly low uh, barrier to entry to build a social network these days, right? It's still been, um, you know, 15 years since Facebook came onto the scene and nobody's really been able to fully unseat it. Um, but you could also say, well, actually that's not true. Instagram did unseat it. They just lived in a capitalist world where Facebook could buy Instagram. But in this in the constellation, it's not clear that that could really happen because Instagram would just be another world that its world admins would have full control over. 
and it's yeah, not, but you could buy it. You could just get you get it, them to transfer ownership. Sure, to of you. course, you could buy it if Facebook right, World rights. If if Mark Zuckerberg, the admin of Facebook World, could uh, convince the admins of uh, of Instagram World to give their world to him, then certainly it could happen. Uh, and perhaps he could offer them something w- worthwhile enough that that would happen. But it's hard for me to imagine exactly what that would be because. Um, in this world, in order for Instagram, which I think had 23 employees or something at the time that they were bought for a billion dollars, in order for them to uh, compete, they needed that money. And that money had to come from somewhere, and that somewhere was going to have strings attached. They decided that Facebook was the most amount of money for the lowest amount of strings or whatever, right? They they made a choice that that was the best deal for them. But there wasn't a situation where they could have no money and compete against Facebook long term. Um, but that's just not true in this world. If they well, not uh, well, okay. I mean, here's what I think, though. Like, I think on a, I think it would take a while because uh-huh. there's there's less friction in this world. Uh, like the architecture has less built-in barriers. Uh, like the arch- literal architecture of this world, um, than a world where you need like you know giant server farms to you know. Get right, right. A you can just create going. a world with a snap of fingers. It doesn't so require that, that, that's a difference. And this doesn't have like, you know, it's a big reset button when the transition happens, right? So there's no longer like a global money system. There's no longer these uh, powerful nation states. Right. There's no longer these powerful corporations. Right? right. But I think on a long enough time scale, almost all of those things, uh, those kinds of institutions could be rebuilt. I mean, just to give you an example. Sure. Once everybody buys into Money World, Money World now has leverage. Oh, you want to start uh, Instagram? You want to, like, don't your users on Instagram want to have, like, easy access to uh, using, uh, you know, Money World services, right? Like, what if we just say, you know what, we're not going to cooperate with you. Um, and anyone that, you know, transfers in here from, you know, from your service or something, like, we're not going to, we're not going to deal with. Right. Or, you know, you could start to you start to leverage or the fact that there even is money means all of a sudden money is a huge leverage point. Right. There's there's suddenly there's all the same market forces that we have today. Well, there um, is or, money, or if but people money like are be, living uh, in a, uh, a dormitory world where, you know, that has its own or in a religious planet that has its own government. And that's like where all of your friends are. And like that's where you've spent the last uh 500 years um and they start imposing uh restrictions on you and using those to coerce you to do certain things um it's maybe going to be very hard to leave so right well i definitely think inside worlds all of these things can be recreated including um oppression and you know once you're inside a world all of this stuff can happen i just i wonder about the interworld aspect of it because uh it, it it seems like um like money world will exist and money world will certainly have some leverage over other worlds to get it you know get them to do certain things uh if they want to interact with the money system but it will be in money world's interest to keep those things fairly low barrier because mostly it wants to be used everywhere and it can still only be used for things that are still scarce which as we've talked about are things, but they are not all the things, and they're not all the things that matter. And you can do quite a lot um, without those things. Uh, you know, if if what you're trying to do is create status or create, um, you know, uh, uh, 
an experience for people to have, um, you might be able to do it with very little money from money world. Um, which, which doesn't mean that, you know, money will still have value. It will still have, there will still be things that it does do. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I I do feel like on the one hand, it's going to be really hard to have a big hit because whatever the first few really successful worlds are, are going to have just a giant head start on everybody else. That's going to be very, very hard to catch up to. But then I also feel like it will be a less uh, constrained world in terms of competition and that there will be more, um, more of that early internet wild west feeling, even if the results are more like our current world where like the winners keep winning. Um, but I still think there'll be like a churn of, of, of contenders that's sort of, you know, always coming up and perhaps uh, often failing. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, because, because it seems like it is removing some of the, the constraints that we have in, you know, in our world, but not removing the, the network effects. I mean, that definitely would still be a major factor. And I definitely think like, you know, even as it ages and gets less cool, uh, the sort of Facebook world, whatever the like most popular first generation, you know, social environment world is, uh, is going to continue to probably have a lot of influence and, um, and just head start because, you know, people want to be where people are. So, uh, sure. I, I, I was recently rereading, um, Larry Lessig's book, Code and Other Laws of Cyberspace. Oh yeah. I was or just talking the, about this last night with somebody. It's or at least the, the or at least the portion of it that stuck with me since I read it. Was well, this the four the four power the four powers? This is yeah, the four the, the four, four forces. It's the the I, four forces that yeah, yeah. constrain individuals. This is literally the conversation I was having last night. I feel like this comes up in my life all the time. <laughs> yeah, ever since I read this, uh, it's just stuck with me. I mean, it it uh, it. I mean, it's just such a useful framework. Um, I think it really like makes libertarianism look stupid if you think through what this means um but yeah you should go readers should check out that book if they can get a hold of it um there's a chapter on this but it's basically if you imagine an individual you have these sort of four forces constraining them one of course is is uh, government uh or law which mm -hmm. he calls it right which is you can you know law threatens to punish you if you if you don't do what it wants you to do right um, one of them is the market, right? Puts constraints on you uh, by making the price of things, certain things higher or lower, right. which allows you to do them or not do them. Um, one other one is social norms. You know, you can be subject to shame or literally cast out of uh, certain circles if you if you violate certain social norms. So that constrains people. Right. Um, and then the last one is uh, called architecture generically, which just sort of describes like the design of objects, but also the design of the world, you know, things like gravity in, in a sense constrain right. us. That's the, that's the most hard one to describe to people because but, it contains the physical world, the natural physical world, and also the built environment, which is like choices that were made in the past. And also code on the, on the internet, which is sort of like the connection he makes. So to, to just sketch right, out right, each, right. each example, which is sort of abstract, uh, I, uh, architecture, it is architecture, but it's like built in an abstract space. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, architecture, you know, I'm not free to fly because gravity exists. Right. Uh, but I'm also not free to speed because speed bumps exist, um, which is different from law saying you can't speed, right? right? Speed bumps are like an architecture of the landscape that makes it hard to speed. I guess you still can, but you're, right. it's going to feel terrible. Um, 
and uh where or like uh on the internet like you know things like net neutrality or like the way that uh certain protocols are designed that is also a kind of architecture in the form of code that limits you know maybe what websites you can go to and how fast you can access them things right. like that right um so you know i guess in in our world the biggest change is to that architecture right i mean we're spending a lot of time talking about that and about how that's you know, very controllable. Um, right. Well, we're saying that essentially all of the physical um, constraints are now architectural, like, you know, are all now choices that you can make. Yeah. So that first category, gravity, now all of a sudden that is on the table. Right. Right. Um, as something that you could design differently. Right. Um, but, I mean, some things are unchanged, right? Social norms are unchanged in this world, right? And that's kind of what, that's, I, I would put network effects in that category. Well, probably. and social norms will be very popular within worlds, but I think social norms will break down to some extent among worlds. Um, but not, not completely, not completely. I mean, there will be some, like, norms such as maybe use of lobbies that just is, are, like, sort of constellation-wide. Um, but... I think the there'll be more norm coherence within world than than between worlds. Sure, but that that sort of mirrors how there's probably more norm coherence within co countries than between right. countries. Sure, yes. Today, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's similar similar dynamic. Yeah. Um. So that's. But I would say social norms are pretty much unchanged. I would say. I mean. I mean. Well, they they're evolved. They're different than they are today because it's a different situation. I think they're, if anything, a little bit more powerful because you can shun more effectively in this world. You can literally eject the world, go create your own world, or join another world. So, if you want to shun, if you want to punish somebody socially for something they've done, you have a bit more power in this world than in our current world for for doing that. Also, you know, d depending on how human nature works out, you know, it may be the case that uh, since everybody, you know, is not really that worried about material scarcity, that they spend a lot more time thinking about social norms and who's in and who's out and status I, games and I stuff. Would, I would definitely expect that. Yeah. Right. Um, so social norms are, are as powerful or more powerful. Um, I think the law is is a weird one, right? Um it, you know, I guess the, the easiest way for me to think about law is that law enforces things with coercion. So obviously when you go into a world and there's, they're threatening, literally threatening to put you in jail. We just talked about that concept. Uh, if you don't behave a certain way, then that is, that is functioning a lot like law. It's also functioning a lot like architecture. Architecture and law kind of merge. Maybe. Well, in, in this world, I think uh, architecture and law have potential to merge entirely, right? Uh, because we can sort of automate through through these contracts the enforcement of most conceivable laws. So um, that that's very different from our world, where law constrains individuals, and it also sometimes... I mean, the other thing that's really interesting about that Lessig model is that the individual is in the middle, right? And all of those forces are point... are like represented as pointing inward toward the individual and you can uh part of his point is that sometimes you can use one of these forces to push away another one of the forces uh thereby creating a larger space of 
of power for the individual. Well, but he also talks about how one force can utilize another exactly. force. Exactly. They can also go the other way and they can reduce the the space of power for the individual. So, you know, under fascism where the government runs the companies, they squeeze the people, the market and the law squeeze the people from both directions. In a, you know, theoretically properly functioning uh, market democracy, the regulatory apparatus pushes back the companies, the companies lobby and push back the regulatory apparatus, and they create a larger space of freedom for individuals um, as a result. Right. Um, no, but, mean, he, but I, he also talks about how like law can use social norms or law can use architecture, right? Like sure. they can use each other. Yep. Uh, yeah. 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 So they can use each other and they can both be pushing in the same direction toward the individual or they can push against each other and open up the space. And so if you're somebody who is sort of libertarian in, in leaning, you might think opening up individual space is like a great good. And so you'd want to sort of try to oppose these forces whenever possible. Um, i just saying that to, to bring up that in this system, um, individual power is extremely broad by definition by the architecture of the space, which is that everyone can create and be the god of their own worlds. Um, but social interaction is still subject to um, most of these powers because in order to be social, you have to enter other people's worlds, which means you have to basically subject yourself to the architecture of that world as designed by its admin, the laws of that world to the extent that they are different from the architecture uh, as decided by the people who the admin has let in, um, and the norms, same way, design, uh, you know, decided by the people uh, who have been let in. And then, you know, there are still scarcities in terms of there is still desire for status and other things, uh, attention, etc., that will naturally tend toward a market orientation and will start to be you know, for lack of a better term, traded. Um, so I do think we will have these forces inside the worlds, but you really are giving people an option to really like, you know, if you're willing to let go of social interaction, you can pretty much be free of all of these forces and have maximum. That's maximal... a pretty big if though. Yeah, but that's the cost. I mean, that's the way this world works is that everyone gets to be the god of their own world. But in order to be the god of other people's worlds, you have to get their permission. Right. Um, so I, I, that's the that's the you know that is the kind of like uh, okay. Faustian bargain of this of this universe, isn't it? No, no. I, I I yeah, I agree. That's part of the concept. I guess my point in bringing this up was yeah. to say that we have these four forces that constrain us today. Yeah. And that we would still have them here, at least even to the, the worlds. Yeah. Well, no, I think even across the world. So let me finish. Like, so mm -hmm. I think that it's true that within a world, law and architecture kind of merge, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it feels like they are almost one and the same and hard to disentangle. Um, I do think it becomes possible to have these sort of like cross-world arrangements. Like, so for example, like a, a system of governance that spans across worlds, just like we have a, a market system that spans across worlds, right? Okay, so, so market an system is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, so the market a, system a across worlds, empire. we've already talked about. So that's an easy place to start, right? That's money world, right? If money world has buy-in, everyone's using it, uh, and all the worlds that you want to go to use trade in that currency, 
and you know and so unless you want to just live by yourself if you want to be part of larger society you're somewhat forced to use the money world system and that manages to get get its tentacles across multiple worlds by design that's the whole point of it right you could have the same thing with a state uh or with some kind of government like you said an empire of worlds right um you know all it requires is sort of a cabal of uh i mean you have to call it a cabal but like like you know an, or- an organization of of world creators or owners you know like the people who own the most popular worlds to kind of you know set it up right basically like we're the 10 people that own the 10 most popular worlds uh let's uh you know let's agree to certain certain terms and like certain systems that we're all going to follow across all of our worlds you know which maybe helps out for sort of interoperability between our worlds right sort of a benefit to some of our citizens but is also you know a way of keeping out other upstart worlds right um right 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 so right you could have a cartel basically what you're describing is a cartel, right? Who, because they have a good market position, they decide to collude and try to keep other entrants from the market. And the way it becomes like an empire, like a state is you could start enforcing, like if something's illegal in one world, Mm -hmm. we don't just put you to jail, right? We send a messenger out to- We ban you from all the other worlds or something. That's going to ban you from all the other worlds. Right. Right, but then there's still uh, the ability to create your own world, um, and there is still, I think, ostensibly many worlds outside of this empire. Because one that is one thing that's very different about this empire that we're talking about, and every empire that's been built in the world we live in today, right? I mean, you probably know this already, is that there's no real prospect of using force to do this you would have to uh, convince these world leaders that it was worth it to them to join this super state and i'm not saying it wouldn't happen um but i think it would be harder i think it's a genuine question like a genuine counterfactual question that can't be fully answered is like can you have an empire without violence (laughs) um and now you could offer to buy people out and again we are having money so there is power stored up in money in this world so maybe you could wield enough money that it would just be so foolish for anyone not to take this deal that you are able to consolidate some number of worlds with this very high amount of money that you have um but i'm i feel like people who are creating worlds are doing so for many complicated reasons Um, and that they might, you know, be worried about losing status, losing adoration, losing power much more than they are worried about gaining, uh, abstract money in a world that doesn't have, you know, scarcity, um, or or at least not material scarcity. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, I guess it's an interesting question and I certainly think building an empire is something that humans would want to do, some humans, uh, so I would be 100% behind like a character who that was their goal. Um, but I don't know if it's actually possible. I mean, I'm not sure that it could succeed at all. Uh, because it's, 
even with the money world, it's just not clear to me that money itself could be quite valuable enough in this world to convince enough people to get enough mar- network effects to actually pull it off. Right. But to me, the the, the way this gets started mm-hmm. um, is that there's a with social stuff, right? There's a social world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, with network effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. But that like, I mean that I and and there's no money at first right but it eventually like that is where all of my friends are that is where everyone is maybe I've like in that corner of the world I've built things right because I have privileges to sort of build stuff within that world sure and I've built things that uh you know I don't have saved anywhere and I can't I mean, I, well, this is a different question, right? Like transporting stuff like that and where you save it to. But um, like, well, if we're saying no interworld communication, then we're saying you can't transfer it wholesale. Of course, you could rebuild it again, and you could probably rebuild it well, again. There's the memory log fairly thing. well. We got to We got to We got to talk about uh, whether there's a memory log uh, at some point. But um, right, right, right. Because yeah, you do keep your own memories in some way. I mean, but we don't know how. We don't know how different from human memory we're going to make that. Um, yeah. Right. right. So, you know, perhaps you could do like an audio visual playback of everything you did and that would give you enough to reconstruct, you know, along with your exec, everything that right. had been built. But even that but my, would take some amount of time and thinking and stuff to get right, I would think. But my point is you could be so invested in that world that and then, you know, everything in that world could start to use currency to the point that like continuing to stay at the same place where all your friends are starts to cost a certain amount of money. And then, you know, I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't, I mean, we should probably wrap this up soon, but um, it is, I think in key ways, fundamentally different from today. That's the whole point. I guess it is a bit of, like you said, a tricky question to imagine, like, you know, how this would play out exactly is an empire of this, of in the narrow sense possible or not. But I just do think Whatever you want to call it, an empire or not, I think on a long enough time scale, I would expect these large power centers to form and consolidate their power, uh, so whatever guess, that means to you. I guess I agree with everything you just said, and I think the only place where I, my brain is, is, is sticking up, and this is the last thing I'll say and then we'll, we'll wrap, is just like with that being interworld, because everything you just said seemed to me like it could happen on a single large world. And it would happen exactly the same way. And uh, I definitely expect that to happen. I definitely expect there to be one or two largest worlds, Coca-Cola worlds, if you will, that just like by far have the best network effect uh, position and are the superstar worlds. And people are so invested in them and they have so many social connections in them. And it's just so much easier to be in that world than out of it that they become, you know, uh, you know, dependent, uh, on that world. Uh, and then, you know, you could see something like economics coming into play, like you're talking about, like maybe it, it, you know, people get into a kind of rat race because of, uh, because of, um, money and the few scarce things, uh, costing more and more money. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I guess I can see that. I guess I'm just not sure that that leads to an empire uh, rather than just a single very powerful world uh, that can like, you know, demand good terms from the money world and some of the other, you know, large worlds. Um, so I guess that's the question to me. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure what the answer is, but 
I'm not sure whether it just leads to a world with a giant Facebook or whether it leads to a world where, you know, there's a giant Facebook and then somebody makes an Instagram and then Facebook buys Instagram, you know? Sure. Yeah, no, I I don't have clear answers to that either. But if the general trend that we agree on is some sort of consolidation on our timeline, I mean, the great thing is we have a lot of flexibility as to where on that timeline we put our stories um, right. So it's kind of like if we want to talk about consolidation, we can move it later. If we want to talk about the free Wild West days, we can move it earlier. If we want to talk about right. the days the West is dying, then okay, we can yeah. I think do I, that. I think we are actually in complete agreement. And I think maybe I was a little bit hung up on the word consolidation. And I think I was thinking of it in my head of as literally combining two words, but uh, two worlds. But I don't think that's necessarily what you're saying, right? I think we're, we're maybe just saying uh, uh, the experience of one or a small number of worlds um, taking up a lot of the share of users. Oh, yeah. What I started with, which is now there's 10 worlds that account for most of the Constellation traffic. That, yeah. That's what I'm calling Constellation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I'm in 100% agreement that that is the trend, the long-term trend that would occur over the you know uh, first 100 years or whatever of the existence of the Constellation. And so for where we're aiming to tell our story, I think... It makes a lot of sense for world consolidation to be underway, if not completed. Um, well, that's probably the most fun time, right? Is when it's like you can see that the frontier days are coming to an end, but right. they're still in full effect in a lot of places. Right, right, right. There's still a few frontiers left, but like the biggest world that's going to be the Facebook world is pretty much already exists and already has a large, you know, um, culture on it, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think that's a kind of cool time to be in and feels like, feels like right for the amount of time we've been talking about leaving between the, uh, the transition event and our story. So yeah, let's leave it there. World consolidation. It will happen. Uh, but I don't know about multi-world empires. We'll have to, we'll have to (laughs) keep thinking about multi-world empires. I, I, it's such an interesting idea and I, 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 I do like the idea of somebody trying to build one. I just, I don't know, uh, trying to figure out what would be the actual pitch that would get it to sell. And I haven't figured that out yet. Well, we went to some uh, weird places today. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time. Yeah. See you next time. Thanks. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.